I want to thank you all again for being here. We are ready for lesson six. David and Goliath. I usually make that pretty big. Is that big enough? All right. So we're ready for lesson six, David and Goliath. This is 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 through 11. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines, named Goliath, from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield-bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So then if we look at question number one, where were the Philistines encamped? And if you can pronounce it better than me, then by all means. <laughs> yes, yeah, Soko in Judah, or between Soko and Azekah, right? And it says in Ephes Damum. I don't, I don't know what that is. Um, where was, uh, or wait, I may have messed that up. I'm sorry. So where was Israel encamped? They were in the Valley of Elah, is that right? Ah, oh, okay. So I didn't mess that up, good. All right. So they were in the Valley of Elah, that's right. Now two is the more interesting question in a way from a, just a physical oddity standpoint. How tall was Goliath? He's pretty tall. Right, he's pretty tall, yes. I had, yeah, I had, he was nine feet, and I had nine inches, but that, that span may vary. I don't nine, know. Nine foot, nine inches. Okay. That's what I had to. Okay. Because, yeah, a cubit is like a foot and a half, so it's like 18 inches. Now, that's rough. I don't think that's exact, but it's, for us, that's close. 
And then a span is like nine inches. It's like half a cubit. So that's that's where we're getting that from. I guess that's that's where you got that from, Cookie. Uh, I had heard someplace and I wrote it down. Okay, cool. No, that's great. That's great. I forget where I had to find that myself right now, but uh, I looked it up somewhere. Okay, how much was that? Uh, 273 pounds. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I didn't. Okay, I had it was 125, but okay, that's fine. You may be right because I, 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 I don't remember looking at the shekel stuff all that well. Do you have how heavy the uh, spear, the the spearhead was? No, I didn't hmm? 15 pounds. Okay, that's what I had for that. That came out to be about 15 pounds, so okay. But that's okay. And and remember, he wasn't alone either. He had a shield bearer. That's kind of cheating, ain't it? I want to. I want you to send somebody out to fight me, but I'm going to have my little buddy here in the way. You know, <laughs> uh, it seemed to me like that's kind of cheating. He's already a huge guy. He wasn't the only one that ever had somebody do that, though. But nonetheless, okay, so. It says describe his armor and weaponry. Well, they said it was bronze, right? And so it would be heavy, though. To Cookie's point, it would be heavy. And there was some heavy old armor. I don't know how heavy all that was. Um, I think the helmet was over nine pounds. Oh, okay. The, the helmet might have been over nine pounds. It, I don't know. I got on the internet and looked it up. Okay. Well, he was a big guy, so I don't, you know. It would be it would be a lot. Now let's see. Do we have anything on? Okay, by comparison, Saul's armor was probably only about forty-five to sixty pounds. So Goliath was really a big guy, and he did have a lot of equipment. He had that big spear, and I, you know his shield bearer is carrying, I guess, his shield for him. So, Caesar. Normal eight? Normally eight. Okay. Well, I'm not six feet. I'm a couple of inches short, so it would be a bit taller, quite a bit taller than me. Well, I remember when I was a kid, I saw a guy that was seven feet tall. Now, I was a little kid. He was huge to me. So this would be like that. I would see imagine. that line across there underneath the register? That'd be about nine feet, wouldn't it? Yeah. 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 That like three feet or more yeah. above my head? Yeah. Okay. And that's that's it's close big. at least. It, he might be even taller than that though, so. Yeah, that plus nine inches on top. Yeah, plus nine, plus nine inches, yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, if you imagined half of me again, and then extra, that would be him. Yeah. So it would have to be half of me and extra because I'm not even six feet. And you know, when you're a little child and you're up against an adult, that's what they appear to you. They all appear to be giants, yeah. yeah. And you know, we're not supposed to be careful, but if there's somebody that's bigger than us and they're being bullied, it kind of scares them. <laughs> Right, and he sounds, I mean, from what he says, he sounds like he is kind of bullying them and pushing them, and he he knows they're scared of him, and he, he wants to keep them scared of him, right? The way he sounds, to me anyway. 
he's not only big, but he's pretty big around too. Oh, is okay. Whereas if his head held a nine-pound helmet, how big would his head have to be to hold that weight? Well, that's okay. Well, that's a good point because he wouldn't just be taller; he'd also be wider than me, right? Yeah. So there, there would be a big difference. He would be a huge guy all the way around. And uh, we were we were talking about NBA players uh, the other night, and most people when they get really tall, they aren't that athletic. So like the guys you see playing basketball that are very athletic, they're like the cream of the crop, the very top. So Goliath to be that tall and be able to get around and do stuff. He must have been pretty athletic to be such a big guy. I mean, it would be difficult. Your bones and your joints and everything, when you're that big, you have so much weight and there's so much, it's so different. It'd be very hard for him. That's my thought on the matter. So. I would almost think he'd be like a Ruthie Greer. You know, he was big and, and tall. Yeah. 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 Something like that. Yeah, he was big, yeah. All right. Does anybody have anything else on Goliath? Yeah. I remember one time when I was playing uh, basketball. Huh? And uh, the, the center had it on up, you know, you always put the tallest guy up there. But, yep. And they had this big tall guy. He was really tall. I don't know how. He was, uh, I would say probably close to seven foot. And this other guy, a little bit, about your size, you know, less than six foot. And they got sitting there just looking down at him. And when they threw that ball up, he must have springs in his feet because he went up and got that ball knocked away. Oh, okay. So you're talking about, you know, sometimes they're not athletic. Yep. That's true. Some of them are not. Um, some of them are just really tall, and that gives them certain advantages, but they're not as athletic. Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, okay, so question number three. What was Goliath's challenge to Israel? Wait. Well, right. He said, send somebody out, and whoever wins against me and your person, whoever you send out, uh, the, the winner will, no, the loser will serve the winner. There we go. So. But, huh? He said that if if one of the Israelites came out and won, that they would serve the Israelites, but that if they lost, then the Israelites would serve them. So yes, that is true. He was very sure of himself. Yeah, I believe he was, and I think the Philistines were as well, as we see later. Um, how many times did he issue this challenge? Two times a day. For 40 days. That surprised me when I reread that and realized that this guy was marching out there every day for 40, over a month, issuing this challenge. I don't know. It just kind of surprised me. I didn't know what to think of that. It's It sounds kind of crazy, but uh, for 40 days, twice a day, he went out and did that. Oh, that's true. He would. 
Yeah, so he was, as he went on, he probably did get more arrogant, more sure of himself. And and what was their reaction? This is the, the last part of this question. What was the Israelites' reaction to this? They were afraid. They were afraid, and they did not come out to meet his challenge, and he knew that. And I think that also probably made him bolder, like you were saying. And to do that for 40 days with no response, I don't understand that. I would have gotten... I would have gotten aggravated at some point and said, let's just kill somebody. I mean, but that's me. I'm just saying, I don't know if I'd have the patience to sit there for that, you know. Anyway, I wasn't there. Does anybody have anything else on that before we move on? I have a question. Okay, what? I have a question. Where are you coming up with 40 days? Oh, okay. Let's find that. That was here. Oh, I'm sorry. You know what? Um, <clears throat> that's down in verse 16, so I'm getting ready to read that. But it says, And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. So I just hadn't read that part yet. Um, but it's kind of funny. They put that question here before we had actually read the answer. So sorry about that. 16. 16. Yeah. 1-6. Okay. Yeah. No, no. I'm sorry. I, I should have noticed that and, and had us do that question later, but I didn't notice that it was out of sync there. Hmm? Okay. All right. So... I'm going to read uh, verses 12 through 30 here. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years, in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul, remember he was going and playing the harp for him, to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself, Now, and the Philistine here they're referring to is Goliath, presented himself forty days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. Now Saul... And they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, and took the things, and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper 
ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words, so David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who, who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. So that was verse 30 there. And if we look, we're ready for question number four. So who was Jesse? David's father. That's probably the easiest answer. The David's father. And where was he from? Bethlehem of Judah, and of, well, and of what tribe was he a member? Judah, right. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so he was an Ephraimite or Ephrathite, the way they said it, I believe. Um, yes, grandson of Ruth and Boaz, right? So that's important to remember just to keep that, that whole lineage in mind. So can we name the sons of Jesse? Yeah, then you have to cheat to get the rest of them, and I had to look around. He had eight sons, and you can get some of the names, like the one here listed is Shammah, right? The third one? But he's listed elsewhere, I think it's in Chronicles, as Shemia. Slightly different spelling, but they, they believe it's the same guy. And... uh so we have the three here, Eliab, Abinadab, and, and Shammah or Shemiah. And then there's also, it's not Nathaniel, it's like Nathaniel, uh, Radai, Ozem, and then we have David, but they don't tell you who the other son is. And it's thought that perhaps he passed away, but I don't know that for sure. If you look at 1 Chronicles chapter 27, verse 18, it uh, tells some of this. Uh, it mentions it mentions uh, 
that uh, Elihu, one of David's brothers, it mentions him here, and he perhaps died in battle. So Elihu would probably have been his name if we're understanding. You read that in context, it makes a little more sense, but uh, it was mentioning some people who were in the military. So Elihu, I, I said a minute ago I didn't think we had his name, but I think E-L-I-H-U is was his name. And if he died in battle with no children for them, I guess that would be a big loss if he wasn't married and had no children. I don't know how they would look at that. But nonetheless, because they were big, you know, in their family and keeping the family going always. But that was uh, the only thing I could find for another son. Does anybody have anything else on the sons? All right. So... Moving on to question number six, who was the youngest son of Jesse? David. And what, what did he normally do? What was his normal task? Shepherd, he tended the sheep, right? Okay. And where had his father instructed him to go? Yep, to check on his brothers at the camp, right, at the military camp. And you'll notice he also sent some cheese for the guys in charge of their, uh, I don't know if you want to call it a regiment or whatever their division was. Whoever was in charge of their thousand, he sent like a cheese for those guys for some cheese. And I think that was a little bit to stay on, you know, you want to stay on that guy's good side and maybe that would benefit your sons and... I don't know. I don't know their traditions, but that's how that kind of came across to me. It's like, yeah, take something over to those guys, too, you know. Uh, let's stay on their good side. So, okay. But, okay, and you answered the why because he went to see how they were doing, see how they were faring, and come back and tell, report that to Jesse, right? So if we look at uh, question number seven, what was David's reaction when he heard Goliath's challenge? He was pretty flattered because he said, well, what's going to happen if somebody kills him? <laughs> he did. He did ask that. That's true. He asked, what, you know, what, do, what does somebody get if they kill this, this guy, if they kill this booger? He takes away the reproach from Israel. So. Yep. Yeah. Right? Anything else? Right. Now that's that's in verse 32 when he's talking to Saul. Back here the way he's the way he's asking this in a way it almost implies that he thinks you know, he's implying I think in a way that the, the army here is being a little cowardly because they're like, you know, he's like, you know, this guy should not be defying the armies of God. Or maybe not cowardly, maybe he's just accusing them of not having enough faith to go out and fight this guy. Right. Right. He's not, he's not thinking of the size. He's not, uh, that's not what he's wondering. 
That's not what's got his attention, I guess. He's uh That shows a lot of faith. It does. It does. That's right. It does. Because he's thinking, you know, surely we should just be taking this guy down and moving on. But, uh, okay, so then how did his brother respond to him? Like he's a little kid. <laughs> like he was kind of mad at his little yeah. brother. He's like, what are you doing here? Leave me alone. Go on. You have big brothers and, you know, yep. you understand that. Yep. If you have brothers, and I had both. I had an older brother and a younger brother, so I know the whole circuit. It's like, yeah. I have four of them. <laughs> yeah. So that's the way that works, I know. Let's see. Um Yeah, he did accuse him of that, didn't he? And and we were looking up, and uh, we were we were talking about stuff, and we were trying to figure some of this out. Uh, David, to be in the uh, in their army or to serve in their war or their battle, you had to be um, about twenty years old. Because if you look back at Numbers, I didn't, I don't have this right here, but Numbers chapter one verse forty five. They were supposed to be 20 years old to go to war for Israel. So David would have been at least under 20 at this point. Now, he may have been as young as 15. We don't know. He may have been a little older. Could have been 18. I don't know. But uh, something like that. He was because he wasn't with them and he wasn't with the army. And David doesn't sound like somebody who wouldn't have been with the army, <laughs> really. Yes. You know, it's not the thing. Right. Well, yeah, I think I think David's question kind of implied, you know, kind of something bad and Eliab got mad. But yes, he was kind of putting him down, trying to put him in his place. So and then how did David reply to that? What did I do now? Yes, what have I... This, yep, this is a little brother. What have I done now? Is there not a good reason or is there not cause? So, yeah, that was how he responded. Well, yeah, I want to... Yeah, you don't even want me to ask questions. Can I not ask questions? Is there not reason for me to be asking what's going on? Yeah, yeah, that may have been what he meant by... You know, is there not cause? Is there not reason for me to be asking questions, trying to understand? So, all right, so that is the end of our time this evening. We will pick up here with question 8 and verses 31 to 37 next week, except, I think, are you taking over next week, Josh? Is that right? So, so Josh will pick up from there next week on question number eight. So I want to thank you all for your time and your attention. So I have a little something for you this evening. If you want to look in Numbers chapter 13, it'll be at the end of chapter 13 and the beginning of chapter 14. That's, that's the only place I'll be. This is when the spies came back from Canaan to report to Moses and the people. 
If we look at Numbers chapter 13, verses 25 through 33, And they returned from spying out the land after forty days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It sure, it truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. Their cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let's go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, sorry, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. So if we look at the report here, if we look especially at verses like 28 through 33, and ex except for Caleb in verse 30, they, their whole report focuses on the strength of their opposition, what they see as the strength of their opposition. They went by what they could see, and they really chose to follow their fear when they saw these people. And that's where they get this, like we were like grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. It's because they're afraid that they they feel this way. But these men, these spies, they had all seen the same miracles that Caleb had seen, that Joshua had seen. They had experienced the same power of God out there before them this whole time. So why did they not agree with Caleb? They forgot God, or maybe did not trust God, and they left him out of their equation. When they were looking, kind of like when David is looking at Goliath that we're studying, but when they were looking at the enemy, they said, do we measure up to the enemy we face? And they answered themselves with a no. They did not trust God. They didn't include him in their equation, because if they had, they would have agreed with Caleb. They would have been like, yeah, we can go do this. It's not a problem. So all they saw when they were looking was the difficulties, how big these people were, how scary it was. And a lot of times when we're presented with a problem or an issue, especially something unknown or unexpected, we, we tend to have a bit of fear. We tend to respond that way. We react in that fear first. We're human. Sometimes that does happen. And uh, we're going by what we see. 
But we want to see how these reports here were received. If we look at Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? And so, um, no and, so they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Now all these people had also seen the same signs, seen God perform all the same miracles, you know, they had seen the power of God destroy the Egyptian army, split the sea, let them come through, and then wipe the other guys out. That would be pretty impressive and pretty convincing, but here they're ready to return to bondage, to slavery. Just because that would be easier. It would be easier. They felt that would be safer, less risky than to follow God and be free and stay free rather than believing in God. Freedom is not always safe and it does require us to take responsibility that we have to act properly and in faith. But how quickly they forgot the power of God and the grace of God and what He had done for them. If we look on in verses 5 through 9, then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give us a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So if you notice, if you notice what Joshua and Caleb are telling the people, reminding them, reassuring them, encouraging them, the land is an exceedingly good land. God's promise, his blessing is excellent. If the Lord delights in us, if we trust and believe in God, we will have his blessing. Do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear. The Lord is with us. But the people had forgotten the, the love of God, his mercy and his forgiveness. We look at uh, verse 10. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. And these are the guys that are encouraging you, trying to help you. And they're, you know, these people are all upset. Anyway, um, so the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Had God not intervened, the mob would surely have killed them. They would have just, you know, killed Caleb and Joshua right there. They would have killed them for their faith and their belief and for, of all things, encouraging them and trying to help them because their message didn't follow what the crowd was 
feeling, what the crowd wanted to hear. It didn't go along with their emotions. It didn't give in to the fear. So if we look at verse 11, Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me, and how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? I think the Lord is still asking that today. And, you know, he's asking that of the world, but also of us. Do we, do we forget the Lord? Do we forget his blessings and, and live in fear as if God is not with us? Because we see a lot of things in the world that can produce fear, and I understand that. There are things that are scary. Um, but we should not fear the challenges of this life. We should not fear the things that are going on in the world. Even though we can have real uh, and difficult times, but remember that God is with us. He will guide us and protect us, and he will help us to overcome the obstacles we face. We can believe and trust in the Lord just like Joshua and Caleb and David, who we're studying. The Lord is very real, is a very real and present help in times of trouble. So maybe if anyone here is having any trouble in life, maybe if anything's got you down or feeling hopeless, sometimes we do have down times where we struggle. We have, we have off days. You know, if we're afraid of what we're seeing in the world, if you find yourself needing any help or wanting any prayers this evening, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.